You're listening to the DET 313 NFL Podcast with your host, Nick Donabedian. Hello there, and welcome to episode two of the DET 313 NFL Podcast. I am your host, Nick Donabedian, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. We're going to look back at the week one loss to the San Francisco 49ers. What a wild game that was. Um, Hopefully you all watched to the very end. Uh, Because let's be honest, the fourth quarter was really the only thing to get excited about if you are a Detroit Lions fan. But we're also going to preview the Monday night football game this week. Our Lions go to Lambeau Field to take on Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. But before we talk about either of those two games, we got to talk about the Calvin Johnson situation. Um, Once again, this past week, making it very public that he expects to get paid his $1.6 million back before he does anything else with the Detroit Lions franchise. And honestly, I, I... I don't blame him. (laughs) I really don't. Um, To shed a little bit of light on it, first off, got to give a shout out to James Attore at SB Nation. Had a great article kind of really capturing the history of where this started, why there's still beef, what needs to happen for the beef to be squashed. Um, But to give you guys a little idea of of where this is stemming from. So when Calvin retired back in March of 2016, the Lions ordered that he repaid them $1.6 million of his signing bonus on a long-term extension he signed back in 2012. Now, the Lions, technically, if they really wanted to, they could have pursued the whole $3.2 million settlement, but instead they thought they were being generous by only asking for half of that back. Oh, you're so nice for doing that, Ford family. (laughs) Now, why is this, again, a big deal? Why is this constantly being talked about? Why is this still an issue for everybody in Detroit? The issue is it's just petty. It's petty by the organization. You don't see the Dallas Cowboys. You don't see the Indianapolis Colts. You don't see franchises who run themselves in a respectable manner do this to star players who contributed a lot to make their team relevant. And let's be honest, Calvin Johnson was the biggest name in Detroit probably for, I don't know, eight years while he was on the team. I mean, ever since he was drafted as a rookie, he was a big profile name, freak of nature, first ballot Hall of Famer. And yet, the Detroit Lions, of course, can't just let the man keep his money. And that's what Calvin has said. He felt Calvin is willing to mend the fences, but only if he gets the whole $1.6 million back. And what blows my mind about this is, this is such a crucial, I believe, cultural time for the Detroit Lions, 2021. We have a brand new head coach, we have a brand new GM. I mean, you can look at it and say we even have a brand new head owner in Sheila Fort Hamp. And with that becomes, again, a full-on culture change that, it, let's, be, let's be honest, it's, it's been long overdue. We need to form a new identity and a winning culture in Detroit. And the best way to do that is, of course, look forward, but also cut ties with any of the baggage in the past. And this is a huge piece of baggage that, quite frankly, should be an easy solve. It should. Like I said, Calvin Johnson had earned every single dollar that we gave him. He was stuck in Detroit, never really heard him complain during his time as a player, did everything he could to try to win us games, and again, was one of the best players in his position, not just during his time in the NFL, but of all time. And you just don't see this. You just don't see other franchises do this. Andrew Luck. God, Andrew Luck. Uh, A quick story about Andrew Luck. I was actually on a great trip in Alaska. I, if anyone wants to go to Alaska, I highly recommend it. Beautiful, gorgeous. Went with my girlfriend's entire family. It was 
probably one of the best trips I've ever been on. Um, but I remember I was on the train, fantasy football draft was happening. I drafted Andrew Luck, was super excited about my team. What happens? I, I get a tap on my shoulder. And Laura's brother-in-law, Nick, tells me Andrew Luck retired. <laughs> I go, get out of here. There's no way Andrew Luck just retired. He was still, again, pretty young. I mean, he was, I forgot what his age was, but still definitely had many years of football left. Everyone thought he's going to be playing for quite a while. Came out of nowhere his retirement. And yes, I was pissed. Colts fans were pissed. Everyone was pissed. But you know what the Colts did with Andrew Luck? They let him keep all of his signing bonus. They didn't take a dime from him despite having Super Bowl aspirations going into that season and him just retiring out of nowhere. You know why they gave him that money? Because the owner, Jim Irsay, that doesn't mean anything to him, really, financially. He respects and loves his players. He wants them to have a positive overview of their time with the Colts. That's what he wants. That's more important to him than whatever the signing bonus was that Andrew Luck got to keep. And the fact that the Ford family, once again, isn't willing to pay $1.6 million when Martha Firestone Ford is worth $1.45 billion, it's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And that's why this franchise is also, again, an embarrassment. Stuff like this you just don't see anywhere else. And, and pay the man. That's all I got to say. Pay the man so we can get past this, move forward, and truly just have a great start to the new era so we don't have to hear about this type of crap. But anyways, I regress. Please read the article, like I said, over at SB Nation. James DeTore, excellent job writing that. But I want to get into the games. Enough about Calvin Johnson. I don't want to dwell on it. Let's get into the 49ers Lions game this past Sunday. So final score was 41 to 33. Um, we'll get to the fourth quarter in a second here, but we gotta be honest with ourselves. The first three quarters were exactly what I expected. They were bad. The lack of talent on this roster showed everywhere. <laughs> we were down three scores to go in the fourth quarter. The start the quarter. 38-17. Ah God, it was it was tough. I'll be honest, it was tough. And listen, I, I'm going to touch on a lot of the negatives, but I got to be also fair to the team. I got to touch on a few of the positives as well. The first one being Pene Sewell, right? <laughs> we talked about him episode one. But he looked super comfortable at left tackle compared to big time compared to how he looked at right tackle throughout the entire training camp and preseason. He was up against Nick Bosa, one of the probably top 10 pass rushers in the NFL. I mean, Nick Bosa was hurt, I know, most of last year, but you know he has that talent and the ability. He did have one sack, but after the game, Nick Bosa had nothing but praise to say for Pennysool. Here's what he said. He said, he's going to be good. He's more comfortable on the left. I could tell. The tape I saw on the right was, I told him after the game, he's better on the left and he's more comfortable on the left. He's going to be a solid player for sure. For sure. It was great to see Penny Sewell thrive at left tackle. It truly was. It, it was a reminder of the talent he has, the potential he has, and why he needs to stay at left tackle. This is huge for me. If they move him back to right tackle when Taylor Decker gets back, I'm going to be pissed. Absolutely pissed. 
Now, Dan Campbell came out and said they have not had that conversation. They haven't thought that far ahead for when Taylor Decker comes back. Right now, they're just going to have Penny School at left tackle because that's the best option for them at left tackle. And when the time comes, they'll make a decision on how to you know move forward with it. Now, Hank Fraley, unfortunately, a few days after, said, no, Decker is our left tackle, Sewell is our right tackle. Hank Fraley, I'm sorry, you need to be behind your coach and just understand his stance on it and just echo it. You can't be contradicting your head coach like that. And I'm sure it was accidental. I'm sure it is the plan right now to have Decker be a left tackle because, like I said, that was the initial plan going into the season. But when you saw Sewell play left tackle this past week, he needs to stay there. He was comfortable. He was doing a good job both pass protection as well as a mauler when it came to the run game. And he is what's best for the future of this franchise. That's why he needs to stay at left tackle. It's not about this season. We, we talked about that last episode. It's not about 2021 for the Detroit Lions. It's about the future. And Sewell is the future left tackle of this team. Now, Decker, I, I love Taylor Decker. I think he's a very, very good tackle in the NFL. He's We talked about a little bit last week, I believe, but he's arguably a top 10 left tackle currently in the league. He's good. Now, he also says he's a team player. And if he's a team player, like he says, he should hopefully agree to move to right tackle. Because he should see, that's where we need to keep Sewell's on the left side. And we could totally use you, and I want to use you on the right, because you are that talented and you're worth keeping. Now, if he refuses, though, if he's like, no, his pride gets in the way, he wants to stay at left tackle, that's what he's used to, it's what he's paid to play, you know, that position, and he's getting paid a lot of money. You got to trade him. And I have no problem with that. I have no problem trading Decker in order to keep Sewell on the left side. Because if, if you trade Decker, hopefully you get, what, a second-round pick for him, maybe even a late first if a contender becomes desperate for a left tackle. Like I said, he's a top-10 left tackle, so there's going to be a demand for the guy. But if you trade him, it's fine. Our timeline isn't win now. You know, when Decker's contract is up in a couple years, he'll already be 30 years old. So I just was super pleased with what I saw to Sewell. He looked confident at that position, way more comfortable, like I mentioned. And for the betterment of the franchise, you just keep him there. Don't even touch him. Don't move him. Just keep him there. Make it easy. And that's what a, that's what a good, managed, well-managed team would do. You drafted him for this reason, to be your left tackle, to be a cornerstone pick for this franchise. And no offense to all the right tackles out there, but the cornerstone position on the offensive line is the left side, the left tackle position. That's where he needs to be. That's what you want him to be. So keep him there. And we'll see what happens. We have a month, and I think this is truly going to be a week-by-week, game-by-game you know, analysis of his play to see how comfortable we want to do uh, in terms of moving him back to the right side or keeping him on the left side. I just think for the betterment of everybody, you just let him be. Don't touch him. Let him develop. Let him grow. He's way more comfortable on that side. And if you put him back on the right and he starts losing confidence and looks bad, that's where you can maybe rattle him a little bit and not, he won't, I don't know. It could just play mental games. So I was really happy with Penny Sewell. Happy to see how well he played and just, it made me feel confident that this offensive line is going to be a strength that we all believed it was going to be to start the season. Um, and to further echo that, I mean, Jamal Williams, he ran the ball effectively when he got it. And DeAndre Swift, like we know he can do, he made plays. And a lot of that was thanks to the good old line play. I mean, the screen play to DeAndre Swift for that huge, I don't think it was, 40-something yard touchdown reception. That was all due to the blocking. Great play call by Anthony Lynn. The offensive line was all in the right spot. They opened up the holes, and then just DeAndre Swift in the safety, one-on-one move, boom, burn him, touchdown. That was beautiful. 
That was great. Jamal Williams. <laughs> like, I think it was maybe the first play or second play, just boom, 10-yard run, right up the gut. That's what we needed him to do, north-south runner. He looked comfortable running the ball all day. He also had a running score later in the game as well. The running backs look good. I think they need to get, again, hopefully more swift involved in the run game, not just the pass game, hopefully moving forward. But I liked what I saw out of that duo, and I do think that they can be load carriers for this offense. Not going to wear one of them out. We're not going to have like a, you know, a Najee Harris at Pittsburgh gets all the touches at the running back position. No, they're going to complement each other. They can hopefully take more of a beating because it's not just one of them, it's two of them. So I'm excited to see the run game at least look more effective than it has in, in recent years. Really in last probably 10 years, <laughs> if we're going to be completely honest about the situation. So happy with Penny Sewell. Happy with Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift and what they saw out of the O-line in both the rush running game and, and the passing game. But that was that was it. <laughs> those are the positives of this past week was just those two things offensively. I mean, the bad, we'll start with Jared Goff. And I'm going to have this new segment every week. I'm going to call it the Goff scale. Is he golfful or is he golfly good? <laughs> That's how I'm going to look at it every week. And this week, I, I see he's right in the middle. Week one, didn't really know what to expect out of him, like I said. Haven't really had a chance to see this offense just in full swing until this past week in San Francisco. And I liked what I saw out of him towards the end of the game. But there's a lot of things we had to take note of early on in the game. And it starts down with he's a checkdown quarterback. And, and that was a big part of why L.A. moved on from him. I mean, you watched Stafford in Sunday Night Football last week. I think it was a second throw, bombing it down the field like we know he can. Touchdown. Goff doesn't take shots like that. And that became very evident to me throughout the entire game until, again, we were desperate enough and had to take those shots. Uh, checkdowns, you got to open it up a little bit more. You have to. And Dan Campbell said that in his you know, post-game press conference, and I quote, we got to get better at pushing the ball down the field. And he's right. If you don't push the ball down the field, and I know we want to establish the run and be a run-first team, and hopefully that will make us more effective in the passing game, but if you're only checking the ball down, the defenses are going to know that and just start stacking the box, send more pressure, and you just got to keep them honest. You have to keep defensive honest in the NFL, and if you continue to check the ball down like we did this past week, it's it's not going to work. We're not going to win many games. Now, he also focused a lot, Jared Goff, on Hawkinson and the running backs in the passing game. I mean, Hawks, Williams, and Swift, all of them had at least eight receptions and over 50 yards. All the wide receivers, on the other hand, first off, too many drops. Cannot be dropping catchable balls, especially when you have a quarterback who... Let's be honest, isn't the best at slinging it. If he hits you in the hands, you got to try to make a play, and you got, can't drop the ball. But none of the receivers on the team had over three catches or over 50 yards receiving, um, despite golf throwing the ball 57 times for 338 yards. Now, 338 yards, top five in the league week one. But our receivers really didn't contribute much of any of that. So, I, again, golf on the golf scale – he was fine, I think, for week one. I, I There's a lot that yeah, you're like, man, hopefully he can piece this together a little bit more and look a bit more crisp week two in terms of just getting the ball out quicker, taking more shots on the field. But all in all, because of his fourth quarter play, I, I can't say he was golfful, um, but he was okay. He's kind of what I expected, to be honest, based on everything everyone's been saying about him leading up to um, game one of the, with the Lions. Now, the defense was was horrendous absolutely horrendous but I'm not overly frustrated by it because I expected it 
you know, I, I talked about how bad this roster is, and I think defensively it showed from the jump of this game. No pass rush on Jimmy G. No effective, sustained pass rush on him. He had all kinds of time to just sit in the pocket and throw Debo Samuels, besides his fumble at the very end, at a field day. Jimmy G was just looking sharp, didn't have to force anything, was rarely under any type of pressure. We got to establish a better pass rush. And I talked about last week the outside linebacker play, the edge rushers. Like, where are you, Romeo Cora? Trey Flowers, you, you made a play at the end for the fumble, which was, which was great. Got to give him kudos for that. But where were you most of the game? We need them to be more consistent, and, and we can't start off slow. And then that starts with making the other team uncomfortable, which they were just comfortable, you could tell, San Francisco from, from the first snap, besides their fumble. After that first possession of theirs, they just got in a groove, and we couldn't stop them defensively. And also, lackluster linebacker play. We knew that was a weak weakness going into the season. I told you guys that's definitely a position that probably won't be addressed this year, but probably it has to be addressed for sure next year. Um, we need to see more Derek Barnes this week against Green Bay. <sighs> Jamie Collins, I know he's you know has a pretty decorative career. Like he's a good player. I know he used to be ranked as one of the top outside linebackers um, in the league not too long ago. But again, it's about the future. And Derek Barnes needs to start playing more to see what we have with him and to get him more comfortable in the NFL and at the middle linebacker position, which was still new to him when he was leaving Purdue. So I hopefully want to see more out of linebacker crew, especially see more snaps for Derek Barnes this week in Green Bay. But we also, the secondary, I mean, man. Arguably the worst secondary in the league after watching everybody week one. And they're young. So I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that this is going to be a growing year for all those players. Um, I expect them to get better week over week. And by the end of the season, you know, we'll have an understanding of who's going to be here and who needs to go. Um... But it also starts with the Aubrey Pleasant versus Jeff Okuda sideline altercation. And I wouldn't even call it an altercation. I would call it just coaching by Aubrey Pleasant. And, you know, the press, the media, the national media, of course, like everything Detroit Lions football, blew it way out of proportion. Um, there was obviously a clip of Aubrey Pleasant just ripping Okuda. Another one telling him to do his job, just like, just giving it to him, really. And I don't see anything wrong with that because you could see later in the game, really not that long after the play, they're, you know, arm around Okuda on the side and long arm, smiling, laughing with him. It wasn't a big deal. He was just coaching him up, but he was passionate in that moment. And also he's passionate and being, you know, again, fiery towards a young guy who kind of needs a little kick in the ass. Let's be honest. You know, I know he was a top three pick. He shouldn't have been a number three over pick. We, we talked about that, but he needs to be our number one corner. Or I should say needed because he's out now for the rest of the season. But, like, there's a lot of expectations on him. He needed to develop. He needed to get confidence. And Aubrey Pleasant was going to coach him as Aubrey Pleasant needs to. And it wasn't a big deal. And what was great to see is the other corners on the team after the game came to his Aubrey Pleasant's defense just talking about how great he is as coach and how it wasn't really, again, nothing to get all crazy about. But we got to talk about Okuda a little bit, too. Um, out for the season with a ruptured Achilles. Uh, I have no idea what his future is with the team now. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> it's really too bad. I, I think he's a great kid. I think he's got a great head on his shoulders. He wants to be great. Um, again, he was so decorative at coming out of high school and was phenomenal at OSU. Uh, last year, I, I I was given the benefit of that last year because of the coaching staff was so terrible, uh, Matt Patricia and that defense. Um, and this year was uh, going to be a huge year for him. If Aubrey Pleasant, you have Aaron Glenn, um, you're going to be now, again, forced into a starting role and be our number one guy. 
Uh, it was going to be a make-or-break year to see how he developed, to see if he could truly live up to some of his potential and show us glimpses of it. Uh, but now we, again, don't know because he's out. He's out. And I hate to say this, but in my opinion, if he doesn't come back next year healthy and playing very well, and by playing very well, I mean like he's holding his own. You don't have to worry about him and like have to talk about him every week. That's what I want to see out of Jeff Okuda next year, year three for him. But if he can't establish that type of play, he's probably done at Detroit, which would be too bad. <laughs> you know, you hate to see a number three overall pick not be there. But you got to move. It wasn't a pick by Brett Holmes. You know, they don't have initial ties with Jeff Okuda. Like I could totally see them moving on if he doesn't work out next year. I feel bad for him. It's going to give more young guys, again, more of an opportunity and an already thin secondary in terms of experience. But uh, I wish Okuda nothing but the best. I hope he comes back next year and just plays solid. It can show he can, again, stay healthy and play at this level. But um, no idea where his career is headed. And I, I again, I feel really bad for him. Um, but let's talk about the fourth quarter, too. We talked about how bad the first three quarters were offensively, for the most part, besides the running back play and, and Sewell in the O-line. Um, and how terrible the defense was the entire, like I said, three-quarters of the game before we got to the fourth. But fourth quarter, there was promise. There was actual promise in the fourth quarter. And I, I'm not going to be one of those Lions fans who's like, oh, yeah, like we should be feeling good going into week two. No, I, I don't think we should be feeling awful going into week two based on what we did in the fourth quarter. But it, it showed to me the fourth quarters that were maybe, hopefully, <laughs> not the same old Lions. It was nice to feel somewhat positive or something to build on going into week two, I should say, after that comeback uh, against the 49ers. And, and again, if we're being real about the situation, let's, let's be honest. San Francisco took their foot off the pedal. We had urgency and desire, which was great. We fought back. We clawed back offensively, started throwing the ball down the field. Defensively. You know, tighten things up a little bit, force another turnover late to give us a chance to try to tie up the game, you know, with less than a minute to go. But San Fran took their foot off the pedal, and, and we, instead of, you know, folding up shop like we have in the past, continued to fight and claw and just try to compete, play in and play out until the very last play of the game. And that's what I wanted to see out of this team. We're not good. Our roster is not good. We're not going to win many games. But as long as we compete through the entire game every week and show improvements week over week, I'm happy. So I was really happy to see that we didn't fold I was really happy to see the players still play and buy in for each other and their coaching staff. And to give the fans at the stadium just something to cheer about finally. Honestly, the first if I was at Ford Field last past week, I, would have, I wouldn't have left after three quarters, but I wouldn't have blamed anybody for leaving after quarter number three. And that's how bad we were. But seeing this team fight and seeing this team believe in each other was definitely positive. Um, gives us something a little bit to be optimistic about heading into this Monday night game. But all in all, I got to say, not good, week one. In terms of a grade for the team coming out of the game, I'll give us a C. I think a C is fair. Uh, like I said, I didn't have high expectations going into it. Um, I expect us to get blown out, so I can't say it was terrible, uh, seeing that we did come back and make a game out of it in the end. But a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do on both sides of the ball, offense and defense. It's going to take time, as I anticipated. There's 
so much development needs to happen for so many players for this team to be truly competitive in this league. And that's why this year is about just that, development. But for the first week, gets a good opponent in San Francisco. I'll give us a C. We're definitely outmatched, but we also didn't give up. And got to give a shout-out to Dan Campbell, too. And I know a lot of people were clowning on him, you know, making fun of him, especially nationally uh, because of his, you know, sound bites and just some of his, quote-unquote, goofy character-like, you know, <laughs> moments this offseason since he's been hired. But if you listen to him in the post game and listen to his whole press conference, you know, after the loss, um, he wasn't very happy. He wasn't goofing around. I mean, he... He touched on, you know, some positives, and he was real and authentic like he always has been, but he wasn't here to goof around and, you know, make jokes and just be a headline. No, he, he also once again showed to me um, he's the real deal. He, he's taking this very seriously, as anyone would in that position, and uh, he has a true, again, eye for the game, and he understands that, you know, it's, it's time to play, and it's time to try to, you know, get this team going in a direction that eventually – we're going to be happy with where we're at. We're going to win some games. So shout out to him. A C for week one. But let's talk about week two. Uh, Monday Night Football at Lambeau against Aaron Rodgers and those Green Bay Packers. And, I mean, honestly, week one, too, is also really just rough for the NFC North in general. Um, everyone started the season 0-1. Uh, we lost the 49ers. You know, Vikings had a tough OT loss at Cincy. Uh, Bears. <laughs> I looked lifeless on Sunday night football against Stafford and the Rams. And you know, we talked about Stafford a little bit earlier, but he I gotta admit, he looked good in the on the Rams. He looked good. McVeigh has getting guys open, made Stafford's life clearly easier in terms of slinging it. Could still bomb it down the field like we know he can. And uh, you know, good for him. I'm glad he's happy. I'm glad they had a nice successful game one. Um, but enough about the Rams, you know. Again, let's talk about Green Bay. Because I got absolutely embarrassed by the Saints last week. 38-3. to Ugh. <laughs> they looked uninterested. And it, and it really starts with Aaron Rodgers. Um, before I even talk about Aaron Rodgers, though, like the advantage Green Bay had going into that game was enormous, in my opinion. You know, the Saints, first off, they're not playing at home. It's a home game for the Saints, but because of the hurricane, they got to get moved over and play the game in Jacksonville. Also, first game without Drew Brees in New Orleans in what seems like forever. You know, Hall of Fame quarterback getting replaced by Jameis Winston. And, you know, no one even knew if Jameis, Jameis was going to be the answer or not. And, I, hey, week one, he looked great. Didn't have to, you know, throw the ball more than 20 times. He's 14 for 20 for 148 yards. So not overly impressive in terms of yardage, but five touchdowns, zero interceptions. That's efficient right there. And that's Sean Payton. <laughs> if we're being honest, that is truly Sean Payton getting it done with James Winston. And I, I love the guy. I, I love what he can do with any quarterback in New Orleans. But um, again, Aaron Rodgers, man, like <laughs> he all the offseason drama, all of it. And it wasn't like, you know, a team like the Lions where mostly it's talked about locally. You know, it was national drama. And he was, what, 15 for 28 for 133 yards, zero touchdowns. Two interceptions. He had five INTs all of last year during the regular season. He had two this past Sunday. And I really do think that offseason drama played a factor in both this him and the whole team's focus and morale. I mean, like I said, they were uninterested by the you know midway point of the third quarter, fourth quarter. They were just done. They wanted to get out of there. Um, and listen, I, I 
people are, you know, or some people are saying, well, maybe they're vulnerable. Maybe this is going to show, you know, hey, it, things are starting to crack in Green Bay. I don't think so. I think it's a little too early to make those statements, uh, especially when he's lucky enough to get to play against the Detroit Lions on Monday night this week. And I expect him to bounce back, for sure, after his week one performance. I expect him to you know, do what he does against the Lions, which is win. I mean, in 22 career games against Detroit, Rodgers has a career pass rating of 106.2. He's thrown for over 5,600 yards. He's thrown 46 touchdowns and only eight interceptions. That's called dominance over a team. He's also 17-5. and five. So <laughs> I think he's going to come back, bounce back in a big way. I expect him and Devontae Adams to have a field day um, on Monday night. Because, again, who's going to cover Devontae Adams in our secondary? Even if Okuda was healthy, like him, a warrior, you know, you know, iffy now getting shoved into things and just having to play with Okuda being out, it's going to be tough for whoever has to match up with Devontae Adams, especially if you don't get a pass rush on Aaron Rodgers. Which, after watching us against San Francisco... Not overly confident we're going to be able to make his life hard um, this upcoming Monday. But listen, I, there really isn't too much else to talk about in terms of this game. Uh, I think, you know, again, Green Bay looked awful week one. I totally expect them to bounce back week two because they're playing a team like us. We have so many question marks. Just the lack of talent. Also, Green Bay, you got to, I mean, they're going to be at home. They're not going to want to go 0 2 in front of fans finally after not having fans in the stands, like a full house after last year. Um, they don't want to be embarrassed and lose to the Lions in front of everybody. Everyone's going to watch the game, you know, and, and Aaron Rodgers knows that. Uh, and I just, again, I expect this to be a tough one for us to win. But if we do find a way to win this game, and really what I want to see out of the Lions is this. we got to run the ball efficiently. You know, we ran the ball well week one, but I think we need to continue to run the ball efficiently and keep Green Bay's defense honest like I was talking about, which means golf, you got to take shots down the field. I'm not saying he has to take a ton of shots down the field, but you got to mix it up and not be so one-dimensional with the short, you know, pass game and also just running the ball. It's it, it's it won't sustain success with that. You got to take shots. We just got to own time of possession. Can't turn that ball over either. Biggest thing for the Lions if you want to beat Aaron Rodgers at Green Bay, keep him off the field. And those two things will keep him off the field. At least give us somewhat of a chance to maybe pull off an upset. And like I said too, we got to pressure the quarterback. If we can make Jimmy G look as great as he looked week one, imagine if we give Aaron Rodgers that much time. <laughs> he will shred our defense the entire game if we do not get in his grill and make him uncomfortable and make him get rid of the ball early. So if we can do those three things as well as really just start the game with the same urgency and aggressiveness we saw in the fourth quarter against San Francisco, I, I think we can hang around. And if things really go our way and it, you know, things actually are cracking in Green Bay, which this will be a tell, if, if they lose to the Lions somehow, wow. And Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay, it's going to be just, you know, pitchforks will come out by those fans. But anyways, if we can do those things and somehow find a way to be competitive in this game, I'll be very happy. All that being said, I don't anticipate that being the case. I, the spread right now is Detroit's getting 12.5 according to FanDuel. Um, if I'm a betting man... I'm taking Green Bay. I'm expecting them that they'll win by at least two-plus touchdowns. And when I think about a score, man, Green Bay 45, Detroit 16. It's going to be a tough one for the Lions. You never know with the NFL, yes, there could be some type of miracle or some type of situation where we somehow miraculously just squeak out a win, but... 
they're better than us. They're more talented than us. They're at home. It's going to be a tough one, um, but I'm still excited. I love whenever we can watch the Lions play in a nationally televised game. I, I love it, especially Monday Night Football, too. It's always fun because, you know, everybody's watching. And uh, if I had to tell one player, you know, hey, you're going to be on notice this game, it, it's got to be Jared Goff. It has to be. I mean, the whole offseason, him getting traded, you know, to Detroit, the whole drama with how he, you know, kind of ended things with McVay. Stafford's played well in his first two games in L.A. They start the season 2-0. There's going to be a lot of doubters and probably a lot of negative talk about him um, when it comes to the pregame. And if he doesn't play well, especially postgame. So I'm hoping he can kind of pull it together, have a good showing. Hopefully the team can just compete, like I said. But we'll see. I'm excited. Week 2. Lions at Green Bay. Can't wait to watch. Can't wait to talk about it. We'll talk to you guys next week. And let's go Lions.